We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. On Wednesday, May 3rd, there's going to be a mass at Chicago's Holy Angels Roman Catholic Church honoring the man who was the first African-American priest in that parish. And that night at the Hilton Chicago, Father George Clements will be the guest of honor at a big celebration of his 60 years, that's right, six zero years as a Catholic priest, and a unique one at that. We're going to talk to him right now. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Father George Harold Clements was born and raised here in Chicago, and he has spent a lifetime breaking barriers, leading the faithful, and drawing accolades and the respect of countless people. He was the first African-American graduate of Archbishop Quigley Preparatory Seminary. He was the first Catholic priest to adopt a child. He has four sons now and eight grandchildren. His life was portrayed in a made-for-TV movie three decades ago starring Louis Gossett Jr., and he's done a lot of stuff since then. Uh, he recently turned 85. Uh, we have persuaded him to sit down for a bit, and uh, Father Clements has graciously allowed me into his South Suburban home. Father George Clements, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, Craig. I really am very, very uh, honored because down through the years, I've heard about Craig Delamore. <laughs> oh, well, well, but more of us have heard about Father George Clements, and I'm glad we're able to talk. It, it's, it's, it's really good to see you again. Um, you. But, well, let me ask the, the, the most basic of questions, and that uh, is, is how are you, and, and, and how does it feel to be in the middle of everything again? Well, uh... It feels normal. <laughs> I, I really have been under a uh, microscope for quite quite a few years, and um, I uh, have never really allowed myself to get what they call the big head because uh, I know whatever has happened to me has been because of the grace of God and so many many wonderful people who down through the years have surrounded me from my parents on down to uh, the grandkids that I have. And uh, I'm just a, a very, very fortunate person, grateful to God. Now, there are a lot of people who have uh, missed you in recent years. Uh, that was proven uh, very recently by the buzz that went through the crowd of, on Good Friday when you uh, participated in the Way of the Cross walk at uh, St. Benedict the African Parish. Um, Cardinal Blaise Supich was there, too. Um, what made you come out for that uh, event? And and also, when people say, where has he been all this time? Where has he been all this time? Well, to be honest with you, I really had not planned to march on Good Friday. I had planned to go there, show my face, let people know that I really do support their efforts to do something about the horrific violence that's throughout the, the city that I love, the city I was born in. And... Uh, 
I just was going to show up, and uh, that's it, because uh, normally I can't see myself walking more than one or two blocks because uh, the 85 is very, very obvious in me, in my body. And uh, two blocks, maybe, three at the most. When I got there and found out it was going to be over two hours walking, uh, I said, well, no way I can do it. And then I looked up and saw the Cardinal, and I saw thousands of people, and I said, well, let me join them for at least a couple of blocks. And one block led into another, and then I just said, well, I'm going to keep on trying. And uh, my father used to say, uh, Craig, uh, something that stuck with me down through the years, he would say, folk do what they want to do. And I think that's true. Uh, I wound up doing the whole thing, something that I never imagined I would have the stamina to do. But uh, when you think about our Lord going for 14 stations, uh, then, you know, what do we got to complain about? Because he, he certainly did not only march, but died. Well, what have you been uh, doing in the, the years that you haven't been in the spotlight? Because for so long, uh, let's face it, as as reporters, you know, when we wanted a, a, a an outspoken priest to uh, to talk about things that were going on in the African-American community or in Chicago in general, you were the guy we came to. Well, one of the things that happened is um, I spent some time in a, uh, when I was uh, when I did uh, resign. Uh, uh, I spent some time in um, a monastery called Gethsemane. And I felt I needed to do that because I needed to get my spiritual life together. I, I really hadn't been going, as you say, here, there, and everywhere, flying here and doing that. And so I just felt like I needed to uh, go somewhere and get myself together. And that's what I did. I went to a place in Kentucky called Gethsemane, and uh, it was uh, the best thing I could have done because when I finished, uh, after uh, several months, uh, being and, and for those of you who don't know Gethsemane, it's a monastery where they never talk. It's silence all the time. And, I can't uh, even imagine you being there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, it, it, you know, I, the, the silence did a, a lot of good for me after being sur surrounded by a cacophony of sounds all, all my life. And then uh, I decided to take a little small church down in uh, uh, South Bahamas, not not the not Bay Street, not where it's really hopping, but all way over in the rural section, a little small parish called Resurrection. I was there for uh, well over a year, uh, two years, I guess, and then that gave me time to really think about uh, the fact that the, there was no um, uh, there was nothing really going on in our churches insofar as drugs is concerned. I had certainly worked on uh, uh, homelessness, adoption, I'd given so much of my time to that, but I felt like I should really do something about um, uh, the drug situation, whatever I could. And then I said, I'll take pattern after what I did with 
uh, adoption. In adoption, I had what was called one church, one child. And there I just simply advocated that every church find at least one family that would be willing to uh, take in a homeless child. And uh, it started here in Chicago, and it spread. It spread to the point where we eventually wound up with 300,000 children who had got adopted through that little that program, and we were in 37 states. So I said, let me try that with drugs. And in order to do some, anything about drugs, going into churches, I had to have the backing of the United States government. So I went to Washington, and in Washington, I uh, lobbied through Congress and, and got uh, laws passed against drug paraphernalia and uh, also went into churches and tried to get a, a family out of a church and get that family to work on rehabilitating uh, people who wanted to recover from drugs and get involved in the intricacies of of drug of finding out about drug addiction and what could be done to help them that uh, needed some powerful forces behind it uh, and that is that's why I had the government involved and that program took up a lot of time but it, it did work and then finally, uh, you say, what did I do after Chicago? Finally, I did uh, start an organization called One Church, One Inmate. And in that, we went into churches and found families that would be willing to help people coming out of jail, uh, help them to uh, uh, go back to school or help them to get back with their families or find jobs or whatever we could do to help them to become assimilated back into society. And uh, I, the reason I kept saying one, one church, one child, one church, one addict, one church, one inmate, because my leader, Jesus, in 25th chapter of Matthew, 35th verse, said, I was hungry and you fed. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was homeless and you took me in. I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison and you came to me. And uh, then the chorus from the apostles were, well, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or homeless? And he said, well, as long as you did it to one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it to me, to one. And that's been the mantra. That's been what I have tried to fulfill as long as I could, just not trying to save the world, just one. Except that in all of those cases, it's it's something that inspired people and and inspired more churches. Uh, how the the one church one inmate? Uh, how how has that gone? Not as well as the other two because people are very reluctant to get involved with uh, inmates. Uh, they feel that uh, it's too dangerous, and in, have a lot of. Uh, equivocation about uh, getting involved in an inmate. But what I say is this, that's exactly where Jesus would have been were he here in, 
on, on this planet right now physically, as he certainly is spiritually. But uh, Jesus would have been going around to these jails. In fact, he went to jail himself. In fact, when you really think about it, everybody who has really done anything meaningful in this world has been to jail. Uh, Malcolm X, uh, you got uh, Martin Luther King, you got Mandela, you got uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, anybody who has really done anything worthwhile, including, of course, Jesus, has been to jail. And that's a tradition, uh, you know, that kind of protest tradition is one that was certainly prevalent um, when you were starting out as a priest. You 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 came up through the through the civil rights era. Oh yeah, I still <laughs> vividly remember with a bunch of priests and nuns and being in the middle of State and Madison uh, in the street, lying down in the street, stopping traffic uh, and getting arrested because we felt that there should be open housing in this city. And uh, so we were, we were willing to put our money where our mouth is, and we were willing to get a arrested. Um, I, I just want to ask, this was something I was going to ask later in the interview, but, but we're talking about it now. Um, do you sense that spirit of activism, that spirit of putting yourselves on the line in today's church and today's priesthood as much as it was back in, in those days? I really don't have to be honest with you, but I see it on the horizon because uh, I am so enamored of this Pope, this Pope Francis. I just really love him because he is and, and calling out for mercy, mercy, mercy. He's willing to put his money where his mouth is. He's willing to get out here and really uh, show people what needs to be done. And that's why he's beloved all over the, the world. He's showing us by example. When he came to Rome and they uh, showed him where his quarters would be, would be in the papal apartments, he said, oh, no, 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 I'm going to be in a little guest room here, uh, and I'm going to be with the ordinary person. I'm going to have people coming in eating with me every day. <laughs> and he, he's just so unusual. There's one story I heard about him that just blew my mind. Uh, they said the first week uh, they came to him to get the key to his apartment in Buenos Aires so they could get his things and ship them to Rome. And he says, oh, no, you won't have to do that. Everything I own is in this little gym bag right here. <laughs> I, I tell you, that's just incredible. And, and uh, I mean, there has been a lot of talk about uh, about the influence of, uh, of of Pope Francis, but even here in Chicago, it seems as if Cardinal Supic is also uh, setting examples. Popes. He's been active in in labor issues, uh, things that for years. Uh, cardinals hadn't always been out there that way. Not only that, but they themselves, the lives that they led, there's a huge mansion at 1555 North State Parkway, one of the most elaborate mansions in this nation. And cardinals have always lived there. But when Blaise Suspich came here, he said, no, no, I'm not going to live in 
1555. I'm going to take a little apartment right here at the cathedral. And that's what he did. And then when they asked him, uh, what are you really like? Tell us what it's, what it's going to be like being under uh, your authority. And he said, well, the best way I can tell you is that I'm a clone of the Pope. Hmm. <laughs> You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Father George Clements, the longtime activist Catholic priest, who is being honored this week for the work of 60 years since he was ordained. And technically, I'm the guest because uh, we're recording this interview at Father Clements' home in Evergreen Park. Um, and, and you've spent most of those six decades being out in front on several issues. We just talked about a few of them. Was that what you envisioned when you joined the priesthood? Not at all. No, no, no. What I, you know, at 85, I feel I have to be honest. I'm not going to lie. When I was ordained, I wanted to become a monsignor, and then I wanted to become an auxiliary bishop, and then I wanted to become an ordinary bishop with my own diocese, and maybe even become a cardinal. Oh <laughs> no, I sure I was ambitious, and uh, it was only after I was was in the priesthood for a few years that I realized this is not really what we're supposed to do and you know what when i came to that realization it was in april of 1968 when a bullet went through the head of martin luther king and it was at that time that i decided that really i was no more and i guess people will be upset when they hear this but it's a fact that i was no more than a clergy prostitute trying to climb the ladder. And I decided then that I was not going to stay in, in that status at all, that I was going to say what needed to be said, do what needed to be done, and let the chips fall where they may. And that is what sparked your activism, but how did you learn your activism? Through a white priest by the name of Gerald Scanlon, who is dead now. He was my second pastor at St. Dorothy, and Scanlon was as active a priest that I have ever known. He, for example, he, St. Dorothy, which was a middle class, uh, overwhelmingly black parish, St. Saint Dorothy. Uh, was a parish where you people just simply did not uh, do things like marches or demonstrations or anything like that. What he did is when uh, we had the march on Washington back in '63, uh, he said the men of St. Dorothy are going to be in a railroad car that I have chartered, and they're going to take a train to Washington. We're going to have a big banner and march, and the banner says, St. Dorothy Marches for Freedom. Now, we were the only church in America that went to that march on Washington with a banner held high like that. He, uh, Scanlon was just incredible. He said something else that doesn't sit, did not sit well with a lot of folks. 
he kept telling us in various sermons and so forth that this people in this black community, which is Chatham, why are these people allowing white people to have leadership positions in this community when white people do not allow them to have any leadership community positions in their communities? So he said, as a result, we really need to understand that there should be no white postmaster, no white fire chief, no white police chief, no white in a position like that until they are willing to allow we blacks, as he would say, although he was as Irish <laughs> as he could be. I mean, a real Irishman. But he said, we should not allow that. Uh, we need to have these positions. And then he dropped the bombshell. He said, I feel so firmly about this until I myself am going to resign. I'm going to go down to the cardinal, tell him I'm resigning, and tell him that I have a perfectly capable black man here to take my place. And uh, that is what I'm hoping and praying that the cardinal accepts. Well. When he went down there to Cardinal Cody, the first thing Cardinal said is, I gladly accept your resignation. <laughs> because the Cardinal it was very fed up with uh, Father Scanlon. But um, he said, no, I'm not about to uh, make uh, Clemens the pastor of uh, St. Dorothy. Scanlon came back to St. Dorothy, got up in the pulpit and said, we have a wonderful assistant priest there, associate, and I have groomed him. He is all set to become pastor, and they are going to bring a white man in here to be your pastor. Are you going to stand for that? And they all, no, no, no. And so they all protested. The cardinal, because when all the news, uh, TV, uh, uh, radio, trib, sometimes everything. First time that a, you know, uh, priest who had confronted his cardinal like like that and uh, then the cardinal figured he'd do something very shrewd. There was one black priest in the diocese that was older than I was. We were the only two actually at that time and uh, he had just made him the pastor of St. James. So he said his name was Rollins Lambert. He said I am making Father Lambert the pastor of St. Dorothy. Lambert was very mild-mannered, and uh, he told them no, that if I were to accept it, uh, they would consider me an Uncle Tom. And uh, the cardinal said, I order you under your vow of obedience to take this position. So he came to St. Dorothy, and one of the first things he did was call a press conference. He said, it was a political move making him the pastor of St. Dorothy, that I should have been made the pastor of St. Dorothy, that unless the cardinal does consent to make me a pastor, he, Scanlon, was going to resign. I'm sorry, he was going to, to, to uh, resign, yes. And when he said that, it just... It went all over the nation because uh, he, he uh, uh, Lambert, was not going to uh, accept the parish. 
So when uh, that happened, uh, the Cardinal did decide to call me in, make me the pastor of Holy Angels. Uh, however, he didn't have any confidence in me because he said, I know you got to fail. Uh, but uh, fortunately, I knew the territory. I, I knew where Holy Angels, what it, it really their status in the community was. It's true, it was uh, on the way down, but since I knew the parish, I hired a lot of folks to, to uh, run the place, especially a, a, a principal from Louisiana, Father Smith, and uh, we turned that school into the largest black Catholic school in the nation with over 1,300 students. And uh, I uh, am very, very proud of Father Scanlon and Father Lambert for what they did. And uh, the fact that such a celebration is being held for you uh, this week uh, shows that the people of, uh, of Holy Angels uh, were very grateful for the changes you made there. I want to talk to you with the few minutes that we have left uh, about where the church, where, where church communities go from here. And, and you were out for an anti-violence march. How do church people make a difference in, in an atmosphere where, you know, young people are running around and instead of arguing with each other, they're pulling guns? How can, how can people within the church help change that? Well, for one thing, they have to be realistic. Uh, these people who are going out, and we call them gangbangers or whatever, uh, killing folks, they are not in pews on Sunday. They are not in the church. And I know if Jesus were around, he would not be hiding behind some stained glass windows. He would be out there in the alleys and in the highways and byways, right out there with all of those people that are getting involved in uh, violence and things that of, uh, of a negative uh, in a negative context. And uh, uh, that's what we have to do in the church today. Uh, these, the, the, this this uh, march that we had, we had, you know, a, some, a few priests, we had a few ministers, we had even a couple of rabbis. But my thing is, all of us should have been out there. That place should have just been swarming with uh, clergy because the clergy needs to know that they are not going to have any impact on uh, people, ordinary people, gangbangers or whoever. They're not going to have any impact unless they are seen. And I myself was, uh, I went to Corpus Christi uh, 49th and King Drive when I was as a child. And when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I saw priests and nuns, but they came to our homes. They ate dinner with us. They played baseball with us. They were all over the community. They were part of the community. And that's what I think people in the church need to understand that if they really do believe in Christ, they're not going to go there and lock themselves behind uh, some massive gates. They are going to be out here 
with the with the pe- people and certainly they need to be around like Mike Father Mike Flager is doing. They need to be around and trying to get involved in the lives of these young men and, and women. And uh, I, I really do believe that what he's doing is what we all should be doing. And uh, we only have a few seconds left, but I would also think that that also means getting the parishioners to come out. Very much so. And uh, I'm hoping that the parishioners will come out on Wednesday uh, to uh, the Hilton, where I'm having a banquet honoring uh, the many people who have gotten involved in one church, one addict, one church, one inmate, one church, one child. I'm hoping that they will come. It's going to be at uh, uh, 3 o'clock at the church, and then uh, to Hilton, it will be at uh, six, and uh, I don't know if you want me to tell them. Well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll also. We're also probably going to cover that as well. Oh, great! But uh, Father Clemens, thank you very much for spending this time with us and allowing me into your home. Uh, to our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at cbschicago.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcast on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. WBBM and HD Chicago, WCFS FM and HD1 Elmwood Park, Chicago. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.